0: How are you doing? Hello. From decuts cuts to future classics. On location and behind the scenes. Somewhere between reasonable and crazy.
1: It was no more complicated than that.
0: Let's skip intro and find out what to watch on Netflix
2: coming up
0: this is how we need to
3: make the movie and we're going to build a Sistine Chapel.
2: When I hear English actors trying to do a Welsh accent and if they don't get it right it drives me up the wall We're very hard on the church because we mentioned corruption and child abuse I am Jonathan Price and you're listening to what to watch on Netflix. I don't believe we've
0: met. What's your name? Hello, I'm Dottie, and welcome to episode one of What to Watch on Netflix, the weekly podcast that delves deep inside the films and shows we've got by talking to the people that only went and flipping made them. We'll also find out what their favourite Netflix shows are. I can't wait for that. There's going to be a new series. Later on, we'll hear from Jamie East, who found out how to pimp up Eddie Murphy with award-winning Dolomite Is My Name costume designer Ruth Carter. Thank you for having me. But first let's go to church
1: does a shepherd run away when the wolves appear you know, there's a saying god always corrects one pop by presenting the world with another pop. i'd like to see my correction
0: if you've not seen the two popes you really ought to adapted from Anthony mcparton's play Fernando Morales brings the imagined relationship between Popes Francis, Jonathan Price, and Benedict, Sir Anthony Hopkins, to life. Over a series of conversations, we explore their friendship and differences during a turbulent transitional period for the Catholic Church. I had the honour of sitting down for confession with both Anthony and Fernando, as well as producer Tracy Seward and Pope Francis himself, Jonathan Price.
2: Do you know the Beatles? Yes, I know who they are. Of course you do. <laughs> Eleanor Rigby. Who? Eleanor Rigby. I don't know her. You know, Yellow Submarine. Dun, 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 dun. Yellow Submarine?
0: That's silly. <laughs> if we could go around the table, introduce yourself and, and let us know your contribution to the two popes. In your case, Jonathan, it will be your role.
2: Uh, it's Jonathan Price here and I play Pope Francis in the film The Two Popes and Anthony McCartan, screenwriter
3: Tracy Seward, producer
1: and I'm Fernando Morales, the director of the film
3: Let's start
0: at the beginning Anthony, this is an adaptation of your play How do you go about that adaptation process? How does it begin?
4: It's actually the adaptation process that probably started when I was writing the play because I was always aware that there was a movie in here so I was thinking in parallel tracks things that are only monologues in the play you obviously can turn into flashbacks so there's a my working title for the, for the piece when I first started writing the play was The Confession, so I thought it would be essentially a reckoning of two, two key figures within this institution, two popes, and that it would involve them examining their past. So in the case of Francis, it would take us back to the 1970s in Argentina and his, his uh, time when he was head of the Jesuits uh, during the, the military dictatorship, the Junta. And um, his rather dark period in his life where he, by his own admission, made some grievous mistakes. So in in the play, that's a monologue, um, but of course with a movie you can suddenly, you can go back and dramatise all that. And plus it starts and ends with two elections, two papal conclaves. So they're only referred to. On stage, we just had a smoke machine, white smoke, which is the symbol for when there's a new pope. (laughs) So the low-budget version (laughs) is you get some white smoke wafting in on. But here we could build the Sistine Chapel. I mean, unbelievable. One of the seven wonders of the world, and we got to rebuild it.
0: Fernando, you're you're responsible for one of my favorite films, City of God, which, of course is a film about crime and society in the favelas of Brazil. Not about God. Did you, did you ever have any reservations about a film that is two men talking about religion?
1: No, actually, the film doesn't talk about religion. I think it's more about uh, the, the state of the world today, that we're we very polarised. But I, I, I have to be honest, I had no interest in the Vatican and, and my interest in the film, as I said, was, was because of Pope Francis. Uh, I like him as a character, I like his politics, and I, I like him as a pop star, pop figure in the world. And uh, so I was interested in, in, in trying to know him better and, and explore his life and, and where his thoughts comes from. So that that's what attracted me to the project.
0: I'd love to talk to you more about about your role, just because you, of course, bear an uncanny resemblance to him. But how do you begin that process of embodying somebody who is real. Obviously, it's, it's not a role that's open to interpretation as much because this is a real person. How do you how do you approach that? With
2: open arms, actually, because uh, I'd, I'd started thinking about him the day he was created, Pope, because our television screens were full of him and newspapers full of everything he was saying. So he, he became part of all our lives. Um, so I had that great awareness of him. And I've had a great empathy towards him. In the filming process, yes, it it helps that uh, I look a bit like him. I don't think I look really a lot like him. Um, (laughs) Not who I see when I look in the mirror, but um, that that helped. And I I looked at uh, lots of YouTube videos of him now and of a time when he was Cardinal Archbishop in Buenos Aires, a specific uh, piece of film I found a, a great help because it—it uh, it was when he was being questioned by his uh, his peers about his possible involvement uh, in collaboration with the junta—and uh, you saw there a man who was who looked quite angry, very stern. He was drumming his fingers on the table with impatience. It looked like someone who didn't think he should be there, and it was the complete opposite of, of the man you saw on the balcony when he was declared pope. And in fact, the. Jesuit priest we were working with in Buenos Aires and had worked under Bergoglio, revealed that he didn't like him and very few people liked him. And when they saw him on the balcony being declared pope, they didn't recognize him because he was smiling and they knew him as the man who never smiled. Obviously, there are other areas in society where he was very popular and we see, we see that in the film where he's uh, saying mass in the Vigia 21 and the, the real people are responding well to him. Um, but it, uh, you know, you get, you get asked, how did you build your character, like you just asked? And uh, I say, I, I, I didn't, he did. And you, I follow in his footsteps, and that's wonderful to do because he's a living entity, and you can, you know, um, you can follow him and uh, take from him even now what you need. And, of course, I also I had to learn Spanish and Italian and a little bit of Latin. I also had to learn how to speak English with an authentic uh, Spanish accent so that, or an Argentinian accent so that I wouldn't offend a, a few hundred thousand people because I know I'm Welsh and I know mm. that when I hear English actors trying to do a Welsh accent, if they don't get it right, it drives me up the wall. And uh, I could name names,
1: <laughs> but I won't. The oh, please, been out. give it's us a list forgotten. for it's medical gone. order. <laughs> Who give, give us the list, give the list Can't do it yeah. well, I think Bill, okay. I think
2: Bill Nye should work a little harder on his Welsh hacks, that's all I can say.
0: When a film like this is inspired by real events, how much poetic license is there? To fill in the gaps,
4: you have to very responsibly speculate. Whenever you're doing anything based on historical record, you're walking walking on sacred ground, um, and this is literally true in this in this place. This is very sensitive material. Um, this is the the closely held religion of 1.4 billion people on this earth. So you you have to do your research, and it started it started that way. So I ended up reading about 25 books on on both pontiffs, what their views were and so forth. And so I think uh, uh, their views are very responsibly represented here, but they were presented in isolation from each other. What I did was turn them into a dialogue, and that's the conceit. That's where I'm being adventurous. That's the role of the dice here, because we don't know that these meetings took place. They met subsequently, since they've both been made popes, we know they've met on a regular basis. But before they were made popes, we don't have any record of them wandering the gardens of Castel Gandolfo. So that's the artistic conceit. But I don't think it's a gross abuse of artistic license to have done that.
0: Because I loved the the funny little quirks like uh, Pope Francis enjoying ABBA. Mm Or, or the Pope having a, a pedometer.
1: have to walk. Let's go.
4: I think the ABBA came from the fact that I was humiliated at high school because I was chosen to dance with the lead girl from the from the girls' high school. We, I was an all-boys' school. And we had to dance in front of our combined colleges to dance in Queen.
2: But the lyrics are very appropriate, aren't they? Fernando, didn't you find them appropriate <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Dancing Queen? Yeah, yeah, it's Friday night, uh, the lights are low, everybody looking for a king, anybody could be that guy, and the cardinals are going to the... Anybody could be the, the guy. Yeah. That was the, the joke behind it.
4: Yeah, but that uh, that wasn't on my mind when I put it in. And,
1: and <laughs> oh. someone said, oh, it's very appropriate. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> really? that, that was that was the joke, I think.
3: But I think it's those, uh, the lightness of touch. You know, the Fanta, the Formula One, the shoes. You've been one of my... Fascist critics. It gives the humanity... The way you live is a criticism. ...to the characters. Your shoes are a criticism. You don't like my shoes. You know, one of the successes of the film is that you really feel that humanity. They don't feel like figures that are untouchable. They feel like, you know, if I I can say every man... um, or every woman, you know, there's a there's a, something that you can really relate to through that. Did you guys walk into this with a
0: the weight of religion on your back at all? Did you did you feel a real big responsibility taking on? No, two I popes? personally
2: didn't. I mean, I very much like Fernando admired uh, Francis from the day he was declared pope, but I wasn't looking uh, at him as a religious figure. I was looking at him in a political. Uh, sense, and he was, for me, the first world leader that was uh, speaking about the environment and about uh, society at large, and not necessarily about the church, but uh, how we could be practical um, in our uh, responsibility towards the refugees and responsibility to the environment. Um, And he was saying things, all, all the things that I wanted to hear that our politicians weren't saying. And that's you know I was uh, very happy to uh, embody that man for a short while.
0: Was there was there any weight for the rest of you?
1: No, I try. What I, I try to do is is. I cut some scenes There was more praying. Remember, Anthony, in the script? Because, of course, the popes, they pray, I mean, several times a day. And so we had the, some of that in the film. And I think I cut all the scenes. Well, there's one, one moment that uh, Pope Benedict is praying because we need to see him uh, putting down a candle. How do you say it in English? Blowing so out. The candles. Candles. Yeah, blowing yeah, out candle. a candle. But besides that, I, I cut uh, all the praying because I didn't want to make a a Catholic film. I mean, there's some spirituality in the film, but I didn't want to be specifically Catholic.
5: You know, the hardest thing is to listen, to hear his voice.
3: There's a huge responsibility, as Anthony was saying, when you're making a film documenting something about living characters. And you have to be truthful to that. And, you know, the truthfulness also comes through that performance as well. But I I would say, you know, when we screened the film... In Argentina, um, just a, a week or so ago, and we sat in the auditorium, and we knew that people in the auditorium, you know, had lived experience of Argentina and the military dictatorship. You know, we're, not, we're just, you know, we haven't experienced that. We don't know this pain of having members of our family be murdered, disappeared, our lives changed in that way. And there are a lot of people there in the audience and you feel a huge responsibility to try and represent their story, you know, as, as we being, you know, non-Argentinians, you know, um, to represent their story and their experience with the greatest honesty and truthfulness. And I think, you know, as Fernando says about faith, I also think, you know, even a couple of nights ago, we were in Rome and we had a screening for members you know represented from the Vatican delegation came. and again, you know these are people's lives, you know it's people's faith and it's their it's yeah it's their lives that are you know really you know touched, represented and you've got to have real integrity. I think there's a huge responsibility when you're representing living people. I've made a film called The Queen that had its own with Queen and Tony Blair that had its own issues and a film called Philomena again, where we felt an enormous burden to represent her story as truthfully as possible, and, yeah.
2: I had, I was, like, mixed feelings in Rome when we uh, presented it for the members of the Vatican. I was thinking, well, if they don't like it, we've done something right, and if they (laughs) like it, maybe we haven't done enough. (laughs) Um, But it was, their response was, uh, well, it it was extraordinary. Cardinal Turkson... Um, who's a close friend of well, both Benedict and Francis, say, saying he liked the film, and that he thought Pope Francis would like the film, and that he wanted to take a DVD to Pope Francis for him to see. Um, well, I, I, you know, I cry easily, but I nearly cried at that that moment yeah, did, with, to get really his. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, we're preparing a DVD with Spanish subtitle for him yeah. because he asked you probably going to give you yeah. to, for you to give to Tuxin.
3: It was really revelatory.
1: The old bishop was there, and
2: uh, the odd dignitary, um, and they were quite reluctant at first. They were trying to sneak down the street without saying anything. And I called them back, and they slowly uh, opened up to actually they had liked it, and they'd found it. Uh, it's it's very um, amusing this film. Uh, lots of periods, which are um quite entertaining and they they were laughing and smiling about the funny bits and they but they thought we'd um dealt with it very honestly and very fairly and um it was a great validation of the film for us yeah i asked, as, as well uh, as the people in buenos aires who gave us the political validation yeah. as well
1: yeah i asked cardinal turkeston if we, we were very hard on the church because we mentioned corruption and child abuse and said, no, you're very light, actually. Yeah. So I thought yeah. it was interesting. I wasn't expecting this answer, but Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, of course, we, we had to mention the, the film's not about that. So we don't go too deep because if we went, this would be a, a different film, it would be a film on the church. And it was not a film on the church, it was a film about those two characters.
0: More from the Two Popes Dream Team in a bit. But now, let's go back to 1970s LA. If only Real Church had an intermission. Am
6: I right? Cheers, Dottie. Now, Ruth Carter is one of the most legendary costume designers on earth. From her work with Spike Lee, things like Malcolm X and Do the Right Thing, right through to things like Black Panther, her groundbreaking work has been a cornerstone in making sure that African and Afro-American culture is represented properly on screen. I caught up with her a couple of weeks ago in a beautifully posh hotel, actually, to discuss all things Dolomite is my name. What a film. What a woman. Is what she had to say. Ruth Carter, welcome to What to Watch on Netflix. How are
5: you? I'm well. Thank you for having me.
6: Our pleasure. Dolomite, what a success. You must be very proud.
5: I'm also super shocked because we were just having fun all summer.
6: It's showtime, y'all. You (laughs) love him and I love him. Put your hands
0: together. Goldamite is my name.
6: It certainly looked like it. And one thing that struck me when watching it is that, for, for I guess people of a certain age, the 70s is their era. It's their it's, time. It's, it's their time. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing the, the same for you. The 70s was, was very much part of your creative kind of awakening.
5: Yeah, it was my time. Um, I was a bit of a rebel. So I started out very much involved in things at a very young age, 13. So that was 1973 for me. And I remembered everything that I wore. I remember what other people wore. I remember it being a very expressive time in fashion and that uh, the colours, I, I could see it. I could, I could relive it, and that's what I aim to do with the film.
6: There's a Venn diagram for me on Netflix, and you're slap bang in the middle of it. So two of my favourite things this year have been uh, Dolomite is my name and also Abstract, the art of design, <laughs> of which there is a whole episode dedicated to you. There is. And I found that really helpful. It gave a real glimpse into, I guess, what a costume designer does because you're kind of the unsung heroes, really, especially of a movie like Dolomite Is My Name.
5: Um, Yeah, I was really appreciative that Abstract came and did such a thorough job of of kind of not only walking around during the process of, you know, putting together a film like Dolomite but also the reason why I love what I do and being a costume designer is, you know what inspires me every day so i felt like they went together really nicely a nice pairing
6: what do you like on set are you feared
5: Oh no! <laughs> Actually, I'm the I'm like the most approachable person. I think uh, I have to be. I'm a I'm a social worker. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm your friend. I'm your mom if you need me to be. I'm your sister. Yeah. I'm your confidant. <laughs> I'm that person who bridges the gap between your transformation as the character and your. Um, I kind of introduce you um, to the set um, because you come in character in your costume, hair and makeup is all done. And I'm there to make sure that, you know, people are receiving you the way you should be received.
6: The sheer scale of a film like Dynamite, where obviously it's, it's a it's a period piece, yes. so no one, you know, you can't have someone just wandering past in a pair of kind of like uh, checkered pants, A pair of checkered pants or anything or something like that. So, the extras, I mean, the scale of that gig must have been crazy.
5: It was incredible. We uh, fit people every day, all day. We had a separate team that in a separate location that had fittings with the background, and I was shown like uh, big boards of uh, photographs of what people had on, and I was able to edit and edit and edit some people were refit and then on the day uh, we did a lineup of 150 people and I went down the line and I gave people you know five on the black hand side I may <laughs> show them the black power sign I I did all kinds of gestures to say that they were approved <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of fun.
6: Um, what well, I, I can imagine the set as a, as, a, as a general rule on this film must have been a lot of fun. You know, working with people like Eddie and Wesley, for instance, uh, what are they like on set?
5: You know, it was important that they came to a set that felt real, um, and I think it motivated them to um, come up with some of the funny bits, Uh you know, Wesley was this larger-than-life, kind of full of himself character. So his costumes were very self-conscious, and I was able to um, put a lot of trends on him uh, from the research, like big dog ear collars and bold prints, and kind of that metrosexual kind of look. Yeah, yeah. And that Before you know, metrosexuals yeah, were invented, yeah, yeah. And so I think that they were they were inspired. They were very inspired, and I feel like. I saw Eddie Murphy really having fun again on set.
6: Yeah, it's nice to see him. Mm -hmm. It's like a rejuvenated kind of, child again.
5: Yes, yes. I went through, I, this was, it was my sixth film with Eddie Murphy, wow. so, yeah, and I did the, you know, the string of daddy films. I did, you know, Dr. Doolittle, Daddy films. Daycare. Oh, my goodness. The I Nutty did Professor? Imagine That.
6: Oh, I love all those. They're great. <laughs> my kids love those. <laughs> There's a lot of fart jokes going on there, Ruth. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> so that was fun to see him do something that went way back to his uh, stand-up yeah. days.
6: It feels like he's got he's got the taste for it again. Yeah. Yeah. Given that a lot of a lot of the work that you do and a lot of the films that you work on are kind of incredibly important in, in representing black culture, um, like Malcolm X, Black Panther and, and Do the Right Thing, as well as Dolomai is my name, um, do you ever feel that pressure to get it right and to and to represent, so to speak?
5: Yes, um it's not a Feeling of pressure, though it's a feeling of excitement and. Um because I I know how to get there when I see images of the Harlem Renaissance for Malcolm X and I see the zoot suits. I want a the zoot Rosalyn suit. Ball can around. I wear a zoot
6: suit? Can I get away with that? Is that allowed? <laughs> you can. <laughs> Thank you very much.
5: Um, you know, I just, I, I just can't wait to get at it um, because I think that it's not um, dealt with as authentically um, in the past as it could have. So um, I'm anxious to to show my side of things. And
6: to get it right. And
5: to get it right, yeah.
6: It sounds daft even saying it, but, you know, from Wakanda to Harlem, is there anything left on your bucket list? You, I you- know.
5: Yeah, you know, I look at those old portraits of ladies of the Gibson era, you know, the turn of the century. I want to do one of those films where, uh, you know, the Madam C.J. Walker and the, you know, the uh, Marcus Garvey's were you know, doing their thing. Yeah. I haven't dealt with that period yet, you know, uh, the pigeon front and the bustle. That's one I'd like to do. I mean, I love The Crown. It's one of my favourite series. Is that
6: what you'd recommend? So I was gonna, I was about to ask you, if you could recommend another Netflix show for people to watch, what the would Crown. you recommend? The Crown, hands straight down,
5: straight away. Start from the beginning, first series, and do a binge watch. Just You'll enjoy it. Get the duvet out. Just get the duvet out <laughs> and the cocoa.
6: Over here, we have this kind of obsession with, with the Queen sending messages out via her brooches. Have you heard about this? No. So legend has it that that Queen Elizabeth II, obviously as a, as a member of the royal family and the head of the state, she has to remain completely impartial to anything that's going on politically mm-hmm. or, or, you know, anywhere right. around the world. Especially when she's meeting, let's say, certain dignitaries yes. from possibly across the pond. Gotcha. Uh, and a lot of royal historians have started to figure out that the brooch that she wears let you know carries a message yeah. and because obviously a lot of the stuff she's got dating back to the year dot right. and there was there was a partic- particular brooch when some a gentleman from America came to visit recently who who we shan't name and the brooch uh, was 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 thought to have been a bit of a a back slap to
5: this Ooh, to this guy wow But th- th- that's interesting that's like costume design but
6: that's what I meant so you get the chance to tell little little, little Easter subtle eggs subtle in-
5: stories yes there's always the story behind the story and costume is a great way of being that uh, signifier and um, I can see that how yeah. she made a selection based on this person that she was going to be meeting with and, and without saying a word the brooch if you follow it you can see what her 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 impression is yeah it's amazing
6: Mm -hmm. we love all that stuff that's cool it is cool I'm
5: going to have to use that yeah you should
6: yeah (laughs) Black Panther 2 yeah (laughs) (laughs) approach wasn't she amazing back to you Dottie
2: I am Jonathan Price I play Pope Francis in the film The Two Popes (laughs)
3: Tracy Seward, producer.
1: And Anthony McCartin, screenwriter. And I'm um, Fernando Morales, the director of the film. And you're listening to What
0: to Watch on Netflix. Did it did it actually feel a bit holy
3: well, at I, times on set? Well, I think mostly when we were shooting in the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Because the nature of the set was so extraordinary that you felt that you're in a sacred space. And one evening, I t- the, we had a yoga class in on our set in the Sistine Sistine Chapel, and so we everyone was obliged to take off their shoes. They entered. We had incense, the music. And there was a
1: play. Somebody playing. So we had
3: people playing um, Indian music, and we had my gong. And then it was extraordinary. Because what had been, you know, like two hours previously with the dolly and people walking around, then we were in this like amazingly beautiful, as I say, sacred space. And the next day we were like, this is really strange that we're walking on set in our shoes.
1: But there's yeah, there's something interesting about cassocks and, and playing the Pope Because the film, there are some jokes that actually aren't very funny. They're just funny because they're wearing the cassocks. (laughs) I mean, eating pizza or drinking Fanta, people laugh in the cinema. But that's not funny at all. It's just because they're wearing the the white robe. that feels funny. So it's very easy to to make jokes when you have that cassock, I think.
3: But there was was also actually just thinking about it in Argentina because where the young Bergoglio goes for confession in the cathedral, um, we filmed in the real cathedral where Bergoglio went... And had that surprise confession, and we filmed inside the confessional box, and that was quite extraordinary. Yeah, well, we're
1: we filming his uh, his bedroom, and I mean, the, 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 in the collegio, in the place where he was the the what's the, directly a director of the collegio maximo. So we were able to shoot in the places where he. So I'd like to see him watching the film because not only about his, his story, but. Uh, in the places where he lived, the, we, we have a scene in, in which he's cooking and he's cooking in the chi- in the kitchen where he would cook every weekend for the seminarians. So that's, I think, he would like to watch it.
0: Yeah, You've spoken about the incredible sets. How hard did your set designer work? Because presumably they spent a lot of time at the Sistine Chapel, perhaps with a, a, a sneaky tape measure, getting it as accurate as possible.
3: We had a trip to the Sistine Chapel with this amazing... Um, historian and curator called Enrico Bruschini. Enrico wrote a number of books about the art of the, the, the Vatican. He took us on this like pit stop guided tour um, through the through the Vatican into the into the Sistine Chapel, and he and you're not allowed to take photographs. Obviously, everyone's trying to take a selfie and take a photograph, but taking photographs is forbidden. And he amazingly managed to get us into. The Room of Tears, um, which is out of bounds for tourists, but this is the
1: secrecy of the the Sistine Chapel. Yeah,
3: and um, which is pretty remarkable. But we had a team in Italy that um, went and took all the measures, and it's quite well documented, obviously. Um, But we were one of the difficulties we had is well, first of all, you can't shoot in the Sistine Chapel, you can't take a photograph there. So we always knew that we were going to have to build it. But coming back to, you know, being a Netflix podcast, what was it remarkable is that when we said to Netflix, this is how we need to make the movie and we're going to build the Sistine Chapel, anybody else would have just said, yeah, ha-ha, leave the room. They were like, yeah, but, how, you know, when do you need to start building? Um, so we had this set at Chinichita and it was quite a, a long process about rights and artwork and so forth but the, we were able to get um plates of the Sistine Chapel before the renovations there before they'd cleaned um the artwork so it was yeah, quite a complicated process where we used this technique called the tattoo wall, but we did the paintings at a third size, third scale. And so we brought amazing painters from Venice and Florence to gather together in Chinichita to work on. But it would have taken quite a long time, obviously, to, to recreate it fully. But I think the set is yeah, I mean, it's, I think you see in the film, even when we had the screening the other day, one of the monsignors asked that it was so confused how we were able to shoot there and mm. who'd given us permission. So yeah. I think even people who spend a lot of time there really f- think it's the real thing. Wow. And
2: Mark Tilsley made it five centimeters bigger than the real one, so that he could have this proud boast that he actually built the biggest Sistine Chapel in the <laughs> world.
1: So. I cannot play this role anymore.
0: What was that, that first day on set with Anthony Hopkins like?
2: What's interesting about uh, the relationship between the, the two clerics and between Tony and myself is that they mirror each other. So you, when we meet in the film, we're quite uh, a little suspicious of each other, and then the, the journey we go on through the conversations, uh, we become great friends, and we in the film we end up tangoing. Uh, together Um, and uh, Tony and I have yet to tango in real life Um, I'm looking forward to that day but uh, (laughs) it was um, I had a great relationship with him and I think you see it in the film. We didn't have to talk too much about what we were doing and why we were saying certain things Um, that all took care of itself and we also had a lot of fun together I mean the fun started because you know, you have a call sheet which says um, uh, what your work is the next day, so every night the call sheet goes out, and you have a number next to your name. And uh, 25 or 30 years ago, I did Under Milk Wood with, uh, with Tony, and he was voice number one, and I was voice number two. And on this call sheet, which reflects your importance to the film, I was number one, and he was number two. <laughs> and he never let me forget it. So every morning we meet for breakfast or on set and he'd go, morning, number one.
6: (laughs) And i say, morning,
2: number two. And uh, he had giant signs made for his trailer to make him look more important than me and had signs, derogatory signs made for my trailer. Um, And uh, now we share emails together. He goes, hi, number one, still. And then he put his signs off. Uh, love sir number two
0: so that, that behind the scenes back. power struggle continues absolutely
2: yeah <laughs> oh perhaps we'll find god over there on the journey i'll introduce you to him do i need to say this Shall I? Say, how do i say this it was really fairly instinctive from both of us although tony i mean fernando tell you we um have a different way of working tony's quite methodical and likes to learn his lines and i'm uh you you say it, Fernando.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, what I've been saying I'm, is, I'm, I'm very flattered <laughs> when he says it. So. <laughs> no, there's no reason to be flattered. It's just a oh, different <laughs> way of working. Tony Tony is a, is a pianist, a classical musician, so I think he's used to, to learn the part and then give his interpretation of whatever he's playing Chopin, Brahms, doesn't matter. And he does the same with with when he's uh, acting. So five months before we start shooting, he asked uh, me. To, to stop changing the script, which is very difficult because I like to keep changing even on a day between one take and the other take. I try to cut this line, add this line, and it because he, he memorized the whole thing and he studied even the pauses and, and uh, it's, it's like a, a piece, a piano piece. Uh, so there was some, I remember one email that he sent me. He said, in this moment, I want to give a break, so please put a, 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 a gardener next to me. So I stop, I, I wave to the gardener, he waves back and then I, Keep going. There's another uh, email has, that he mentions he will have a fly on his eyebrow, and at that point he will stop, breathe, and take the fly out of everything that you watch in the film. And feels so natural; it's all planned. And Jonathan is the opposite. I, my feeling is that he, he he knew the character, he had the body language, he understood the state of mind of uh, Pope Francis. So whatever you'd give him on the day, he would respond. And uh, and I wasn't very sure if this was, was going to work because uh, Johnson needs uh, needs to play, and and Tony's like he's playing his his game is already set before he comes to the set. So, but did you feel that you were alone at some point? No, or no there was no, there, there no, was a play, it, there, there was a perfect. match going on.
2: It's kind of perfect that that there's somebody because Benedict was very set in his ways, and Megalio uh, comes in there to change him to change the situation. No, it was it was a perfect setup, um, but you didn't put in the word that I was like a jazz musician. Oh uh, yeah, he's yeah. more like yeah. That's so it's so flattering that totally like I was waiting for. And, and I think it's quite sexy to be told you're jazz. You see. Yeah,
1: no, but you are, you are, because you're ready. You're ready to, you're ready to respond yeah. and to see uh, yeah what comes, and then you give your. your you're lying back yeah it's uh, it's really jazz I I think I'm a jazz I didn't know this was complimentary but I think I'm a (laughs) jazz director as well because I I keep changing things and and using whatever comes whatever the actors bring or, or the art designer the end of the film is about we have a big sequence on refugee that was brought by Tracy who's very involved with refugees and she convinced me that that would be a Good ending, so we brought a lot of refugees in the ending, right, Tracy?
3: Well, I, I work with a charity to help refugees that was started about four years ago when we were shooting in Italy. We, I, I work with a group in Rome called Baobab that looks after the migrants in, in through Italy. And so, what it was a really wonderful thing to do during pre production and during shooting in Rome was to get the crew to come to the studio and we would cook for about three to 400 people every week and take the food down to the camp. The crew would serve. And it was just a nice way of people getting to know each other and the Romans, who didn't really know this was happening in their city. So anyway, out of that, um, so Fernando... So one day, one day
1: yeah. when we were going to serve the food, we took a Jonathan dressed as the Pope and yeah. a small camera. It wasn't a, a working day. It was just like a, our free day and we shot him uh, in, in, in this situation, and we used in the film. That was not uh, scheduled, it was just a... Uh, we just stole all the scenes.
3: Yeah, but then out of that, we had the sequence with the refugees.
1: Who is responsible for
2: the blood of our brothers and sisters? The refugees washed up on the shores of the Mediterranean?
3: And we brought some of the migrants from the camp in Rome. They came, some of them worked on the movie. Uh, they appear in the movie in our set in Sistine Chapel, and we brought them to Rome. To and, of course,
1: that, that all makes sense, because when Pope Francis uh, was elected, the first place that he went was Lampedusa to deal with refugees, so we're not making up something. This was really his, one of his first moves.
2: And he brought them to the Vatican to and, the, and he did brought yeah And of course when we shot that scene and with the real refugees the guys there um i took them into the sistine chapel and i was improvised by saying um let me tell you the story of uh, you see you look up there it's a story of adam and eve in the garden of eden and i told them everything about it and they looked very interested and then we did take two and I thought, well, it doesn't matter, I'll just say the same thing again. So, and so I said, so you know the story of uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? This and this happens. I said, do you know this story? And they, as one they said, yeah, you just
1: told us. <laughs> <laughs> you're very eloquent, to you're very
3: popular.
0: You've all said in, in one way or another that this film isn't, it's not a religious film, it's a commentary about how generations are transitioning, about so many things. Why do you think a film like this is important now? Uh,
4: well, I think there's a tremendous sort of frustration in society at large that there isn't more commonality between us all. Why, why are we in such an extended dispute with each other? We all pretty much want the same things, so why are we so divided and, um, and, and at, at its heart this is a debate between a progressive and a conservative and they learn there's much more in common than, than separates them. And uh, that's the sort of responses we're getting. We've been kind of overwhelmed. Um, we've been winning audience awards, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, the last five film festivals, we didn't anticipate that kind of response. And so you realise, oh, this is tapping into something. Mm -hmm. And we've been trying for for ourselves to to sort of work out what that is. And it is something, the, the spirit of the movie, the spirit of tolerance, of forgiveness... Uh, of looking at debate as not as a war of ideas but trying to find, uh, you know, a, a third way. And the, the, the characters achieve this in the movie and I think it, it all sort of takes people in a direction that gives them hope.
0: Now as you know, this podcast is called What to Watch on Netflix which would be an awful title if we didn't ask the real filmmakers what they had to recommend. Guys, you've, you've given us the two popes to watch but I'd love to know what you're watching on Netflix. Fernando, have you got a recommendation for something that we should be watching on Netflix?
1: Yeah, in my list, I need to watch, I didn't have time yet, the second season of uh, The End of the f- World. The guy who, who plays the lead, Alex, what is his name? Like, Alex
3: what? Alex Lawther.
1: Uh, he's fantastic, and I'm preparing a new film that I want to find some part for him, so I want to watch that again. Not again, I've watched the first season, I want to watch the second one.
3: I'm watching Before the Flood. It's a documentary made by Leonardo DiCaprio about climate change. He presents it. It's a really powerful documentary. Everyone should watch it. Anthony?
4: Uh, The most recent one I saw was Laundromat. Scott Z Burns, I think, is a very fine writer. And my old mate Gary Oldman's in it, um, doing a delightful sort of Werner Herzog interpretation. I hope he's not offended by that, but um, it sounded a bit Werner to me and uh, and some important themes.
0: What would your synopsis of The Laundromat be?
4: No, don't ask me. (laughs) <laughs> it it it's it, it intentionally chaotic as a movie because it's so complex as to what the rich do with their money and how they hide it. And, cr- and me trying to tell you how the rich hide their money, I need a PhD in, in advanced economics or accountancy.
0: And Jonathan, your well, recommendation, on a lighter note, uh,
2: the French series "Call My Agent." I can't wait for that. There's going to be a new series, but it's very very French and very, very funny, and there's rumours that they're going to try and make an English version, an American version. Uh, forget it. It will not work. It can, this situation could only exist in France. What is called? beware. It's called Dépessant, and uh, it's about a, a theatrical agency in Paris, and it represents all the famous film actors, and they appear as themselves, and all their foibles, uh, the fact that uh, Isabelle Huppert... Cannot say no to a film, and there's a whole episode <laughs> which is devoted to her uh, secretly running between two film sets to get the film made. It's, it's just great. It's great. And there's a new
1: series due. And I just remember about a new one. It's, uh, I'm producing, but it's quite good, called The Brotherhood. In Portuguese, it's Irmandade. It's a Brazilian series. In Brazil, there's this crime organization. They're not really controlling the country. They have even people in Congress, they're really running part of the country so the the series is about how they took control we're writing the second season but the first season is already uh netflix it's quite good about crime organization
0: amazing fernando tracy anthony jonathan thank you so much for joining me on what to watch on netflix (laughs) thank Thank you you very much Thank thank you do you know what this podcast actually works after that recommendation from jonathan price I actually started watching Call My Agent. Brilliant series, and I'm brushing up on my French. Muy bien, mi amigo. That's it for this week. But seeing as it's our launch week and we've got so much of the good stuff, we're bringing you a bonus movie special this Friday. I'm going to sit down with director Noah Baumbach and talk marriage story.
6: And I'm ticking off the very top of my bucket list by getting some FaceTime with Robert De Niro. He will quite literally be talking to me.
1: On the advice of counsel, I respectfully decline to answer that question on the grounds that it might tend to incriminate me.
0: What to Watch on Netflix is hosted by me, Dottie, and is written and produced by Jamie East. Editing and additional production comes from Cup and Nuzzle. What are you watching on Netflix? We'd love to know. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Netflix UK. Hasta luego.